This is a HeadGum Podcast. Andrew, Destiny is calling. I picked up the phone and it says I need a new website. Help. Here's what you could tell Destiny is that you're going to go to Squarespace and you're going to make a website with Squarespace because they sponsored our podcast this week. It's Squarespace. Turn your cool idea into a new website with Squarespace. Showcase your work with Squarespace. Blog or publish content with Squarespace. Sell products and services of all kinds with Squarespace and more with Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace does all this stuff by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers who work for Squarespace. There's powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online on your Squarespace website. Uh, Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box by Squarespace. They have analytics provided by Squarespace that helps you grow in real time. Built-in search engine optimization, again, provided by Squarespace. They have free and secure hosting. It's a very secure thing that Squarespace does. And it's they Squarespace also has twenty four seven award winning customer Squarespace support. Um, if you want a Squarespace, and I think I've I think that you probably do at this point, based on everything I know about like psychology and Pavlovian response, you should go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a Squarespace website or a Squarespace domain. Again, that's squarespace.com slash OVERDUE for a free trial. 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the coupon code OVERDUE. Squarespace. Squarespace. Everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we're here with another episode of that book podcast you love to love. Um, <laughs> each week, one of us reads a book, tells the other person about it. We've been doing this for a good long time, and we think we've got a handle on it. Uh, mm. Andrew, what book did you read what? this week? I read Orlando by Virginia Woolf. When do you think we last talked about Virginia Woolf? Boy, like episode 10. No, 10 was Winnie the Pooh. I don't know why I know that. Um, Episode 16. Episode 125, uh, where I read To the Lighthouse. We... It was right around July 4th because we spent about three minutes talking about fireworks. <laughs> um, Boy. Uh, we also talked about modernism and we talked about the Bloomsbury Group and we talked a little bit about... Love them. I love their investments. Yes. I it sounds like an investment firm. <laughs> it, it probably is, uh, it, you know, regardless <laughs> of what we're going to talk about today. And also we talked about... Uh, I got. I was talking about philosophers philosophizing about time. Because that's a thing. Um, I think it'll be relevant based on Wolf's oeuvre. Um, At this point, I guess we need to do another podcast that's just us recapping our own podcast based on what I'm listening to you say. I think our listeners... you sound really surprised and not always pleasantly by the things that we chose well, to spend our time on <laughs> back just, in the day. I was skipping through the intro to be, to be like, okay, what did we say about her biography and things like that to make sure that I could reference people back to 125 and not over-repeat ourselves here. And like, I clicked ahead and I was like, Immanuel Kant! And I was like, I don't know anything about Immanuel Kant. Why am I talking about him? <laughs> um, I will take... Some- I just feel like if, if, you, if the last time we talked about something was like five years ago i don't know that it qualifies as repeating ourselves mm. Ooh, i like that notion of time uh, andrew mm. before we talk about the book what are your opinions of wolves tell me uh they wild dogs just like the they're cool sort of out there dogs that don't care about you or me or anybody um cool teeth cool howls um, I really like them in the abstract. I don't need them to be around me yeah. in person. Yeah. But I could say that of a lot of animals. So in general, wolves B plus. Great. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. That sounds about right. Why? What do you? How do you feel? About I them? I would give a B plus to the performance of the wolves in the movie. Look who's talking. 
Now, which I think is the third movie in the Look Who's Talking franchise. Boy, that's pretty. Yeah, because Look Who's Talking 2 is the second one. Yeah. And then Look Who's Talking is the first one. Yes. And that one is when the dogs are talking in the family and they go to some secluded cabin in the woods uh, for Christmas and they encounter some wolves and the wolves talk too, as I recall. Um, yeah, I think I don't remember who voiced the uh, this is this is 93 so yeah this is a golden age for uh dog based kid <laughs> movies yeah. like you got you got all your homeward bounds and your beethovens and your um airbud oh yeah airbud is kind of in there in that milieu somewhere so yeah 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 um yeah it's a good it's a good flick go check it out uh but we got we got stuff to do today we can't talk about look who's talking now the whole time craig how do you feel about the state of virginia <laughs> let's just keep <laughs> let's just let's just follow this to its logical conclusion um i don't know it's bluer than it's ever been let's talk about that no uh andrew <sighs> let's talk about adeline virginia wolf uh nay steven born in 1882 passed away in 1941 uh, seventh child of eight in a blended family, which is a big part of the, to the lighthouse. Lost her mother in 1895. Lost her father in 1905. Move. You're not a. Could you turn the auctioneer knob down like two ticks? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Uh, going once. Moved to Bloomsbury, uh, which is like somewhere outside London. It's somewhere in there. Uh, and she fell <laughs> in with a literary group uh, called the Bloomsbury Group. Um, you hate to see it which includes there are all kinds of after school programs now that are aimed to keep this kind of thing from happening uh which included em forster john maynard Keynes, and others as well as uh her husband leonard wolf um as well as vita sackville west um who she had a relationship with and is kind of the inspiration of sorts for orlando um, we can talk about that in a second. Um, this book was published in 1928. It has had several film and stage adaptations, notably a film in 1992 starring Tilda Swinton. Uh, Sarah Rule wrote a play about it in 2010. Oh, yeah, I saw that. You like her, right? I do like Sarah Rule a lot. I actually, we should probably read her for the show. I like her a lot. Okay. Um, but have you read all of her though? Like, would I have to read it? Um, you might have to read it, especially because one of the a couple of the plays that I'd want us to discuss, I definitely know. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, anything else about the background before that? That's on your plate that we talk about because I want to make sure we have a like a grounding of the Sackville West stuff. But I don't know what else you want to say. I think that's the main thing. Why don't you, why don't you dive into that a little bit? Sure. So um, from her diary, she, you know, she spent some time uh, with Vita from, you know, in particular 1925 to 1928, though they were friends their entire lives. Um, she said about Orlando, instantly the usual exciting devices enter my mind, a biography beginning in the year 1500 and continuing to the present day called Orlando. Vita, only with a change about from one sex to the other. Um, and so that's the inspiration. We'll talk about what that means for the book itself. Um, she was writing Orlando, quote, half in mock style, very clear and plain, so that people will understand every word. But the balance between truth and fantasy must be careful. It is based on Vita. Uh, she actually got permission from Sackville West to, like, write the book as it was and Vita replied my god Virginia if ever I was thrilled and terrified it is at the prospect of being projected into the shape of Orlando <laughs> uh, and yeah Sackville West was a very successful writer and poet in her own right actually her books were selling better than Wolf's were contemporaneously um, but this was the book that really took off for Wolf from a commercial standpoint uh, that's interesting because as you were researching you were telling me that it's it's really not like if you were doing a, a rundown of wolf's work this is maybe not at the top of the list of things that you would talk about so there's an article by dr joanna scutts uh for vulture uh, in 2018 and the opening paragraph kind of sums up some of the conventional wisdom serious scholars have rarely taken virginia wolf's novel orlando terribly seriously it's commonly described as a romp Lighthearted and fantastical, stretching more than 300 years with an unaging hero changes sexes midstream, a book to explain away rather than embrace. Um, and it usually then, you know, deviates into the, 
like affair that they had and the gossipy nature of knowing that it was based on this uh, bisexual relationship because they were both married to men at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had also been published in the same year as two other um, prominent like lesbian stories. One of them called The Well of Loneliness by Radcliffe Hall, uh, which was actually formally censored and went to trial over it um, due to its portrayal of uh, uh, female homosexuality. Um, sure. And the fact that this was, I don't know, people did not do the same thing to this book. They did not do it to another book that was published in the same year. Um, because maybe because that one took all the air in the, you know, I think one prosecutor said like, this is the one I think I can like get censored essentially because you know britain in the thir- in the 20s i suppose i don't know yeah because this one's a little silly and it's a little abstract and if you, I, I think if you come to it with no existing knowledge of the sackville west relationship which i which is my the case with me sure um you might not immediately jump to it being that but i guess i guess i don't know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and and even in a lot of the articles i read about this book also like wolf was saying it was meant to be a fun book, meant to be a playful book, meant to be somewhat satirical about not only Sackville West's work, but historiography and the practice of, you know, recorded history being ex- very explicitly male um, and things like that. So she knew that it might be perceived a little bit differently than her previous work, which includes Mrs. Dalloway and To the Lighthouse, um, which I think... You know, when we talked about modernism 300 episodes ago or whatever it was, um, (laughs) I think the men of the Bloomsbury group uh, who were, you know, advocates for her work were probably very excited about what it was doing for the form of novel writing. And not to say that this is not doing some of those things, but this also has this like pulpy, gossipy thing going on, at least contemporaneously to people who like knew her work and, and, you know, knew who she ran with at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and Sackville West's son said, you know, said multiple times, uh, that this was definitely about his mom and that it was a, you know, a very loving portrait of her run through this character and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, the New York times review from 1928, uh, gets more at the, where this, where this takes place in the context of Wolf's other work. Those who open Orlando expecting another novel in the vein of Mrs. Dalloway into the lighthouse will discover to their joy or sorrow that once more, (laughs) Mrs. Wolf has broken with tradition and convention and has set out to explore still another fourth dimension of writing. Not that she has abandoned the stream of consciousness method, uh, but with it, she has combined what for lack of a better term, we might describe as an application to writing of the Einstein theory of relativity. And then Cleveland B. Chase goes on to wax about what that might mean in fiction um but i was struck by him just being like hey you might have expected one thing you got something different and you get to decide if that's it's like when a when a band releases like a third album and it's different they got a different mm-hmm. producer uh-huh. the single sounds the same but the album's kind of diff- the rest of it's like a different tone yeah the strokes <laughs> it is what is virginia wolf but the it's strokes. just like the strokes yeah <laughs> Um, any other like background on your experience coming to the book, Andrew, or do you just kind of want to dive into it? No, my experience is just kind of like I, this is one I knew very, very little about. I haven't read, I don't think any Virginia Woolf cause you read Lighthouse yeah, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. did it, right? Um, yeah, I, I knew that, um, there was, you know, it, it is a, it is more studied in like uh, gender and transgendered studies than it is in other fields. Yeah. Um, I knew that it was not taking itself entirely seriously and that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah. I didn't know too much coming in either. I'm struck by it being called Orlando, a biography, which I do want to ask you about. Uh, I should have mentioned already that this was a Patreon recommendation from Diana and Danny. Um, and Danny said they have anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Diana didn't have much, but Danny said among other things that they first read Wolf through Mrs. Dalloway, which takes place in a day. Orlando on the other hand takes place over 300 years. I don't want to yep. say more other than there is a lot of weird wolf humor to look forward to. Uh, Danny also talked about it in the context of other queer fiction. And some scholars have kind of put this forward as one of the first 
novels, uh, like trans novels. I think there's other writing that might dispute that, but it is out there as like a reputation for this book. And I have some responses to that that I can cite after we actually talk about what's in the book proper. Yeah, I'm curious to hear those because... I I would be interested to talk about what what is in the book versus what has been like talked about around the book. Yeah, sure. So I think you could I think you could go either way with it. Like it like it, it might be a foundational work or it might just kind of be this sort of side this footnote in that field. And it, you know, well, and it might have based on based on what Wolf chooses to sort of emphasize. And like I think I found myself thinking about Lighthouse, it might have a lot of resonances with what the book makes you think about whether or not that that's actually like it might have a pond rippling effect where it gives you some stuff to some words and some ideas or some characters to re- to reference when you want to think about an idea or a theme but the book is just kind of like doing its own thing um, mm-hmm. which feels very modernist to me it feels very like the text can be whatever we want it to be and then um, the audience is going to add a perspective on their own um, all right, so what is this book? We've talked about the time thing, and we've talked about it being a biography, so set it up. Hit me. Uh, let's just, let me just run through the plot such as it is, and then we'll have that as sort of the scaffolding to use for the discussion of all the other... Great. Like, bo- both the, like, the writing level stuff, and then, like, the narrative and character level stuff that it's okay. doing. Uh, so the plot is as follows orlando <laughs> is a young noble who's born in the late 1500s during the reign of queen elizabeth the first and he serves in her court um he's depicted as kind of a, a rascal like not super sociable but a ladies man and he is you know it, it's while he is kind of slumming it a little bit in the evenings like uh like any young rapscallion might it does seem like he is headed toward a sort of typical noble experience where you marry another noble and then you have a noble life yeah sure that's how it goes um this gets derailed when he meets sasha so he's betrothed to somebody um and their marriage is imminent but then um during this like festival sort of thing it, it is during this really really cold winter and this is where the book sort of dips into something that i want to call magical realism for lack of a better term like it, it is this winter is one where um birds froze in midair and fell like stones to the ground and then when this winter is over it in like it, it results in this flood where like people and an entire village get like washed away in front of Orlando's eyes, like stuff that could not literally be true and does have sort of a, a a magical realist flavor to it. Like it's, it's aiming to evoke a, a feeling and imagery without being something that could literally be true. Though that also gets into the sort of fuzzy nature of, of history and of biography, like stuff that Wolf is obviously playing with. Yeah. The, the article by Dr. Scott's also name checks a couple modern sci-fi fantasy, uh, writers where, and compare draws the comparison to how Wolf plays with like time and history in this book to the ways in which, uh, women authors are kind of pushing at a lot of different conventions within those genres and using like sci-fi and fantasy to uh, comment on society or things like that because uh, sometimes it takes a little bit more than what is in our present reality to make the point clear, let's yeah. say. Sometimes on this show, this is something that you and I both do, but you know the butterfly meme? <laughs> Is this a? Yeah, yeah. Is this a, sometimes I feel like the butterfly is labeled anything weird happening, and we are like, is this a magical realism? <laughs> we do that a lot. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I'm very self aware when I when I say this reminds me of magical realism because I know we bring it up a lot. So everybody, shut up. <laughs> uh, so uh, Orlando meets Sasha, who's this Russian princess. And he is really, really into her and she seems really into him, but she does go back home with, you know, somebody who was on the ship that she came on and she breaks his heart. And as his like, there, there's this whole sequence where they agree they're going to run off together because he he has this marriage that he doesn't want to be involved in. And she is 
you know, she's supposed to go back home, but he envisions them like running off and having their own life together somewhere else. He says, you know, meet me at this place at the stroke of midnight. And it's like it's the dead of night and it starts raining and she doesn't show up. And then the the like the uh, the weather breaks and there's this giant flood where all these people die in front of him. And he runs down to the docks and this Russian ship, like all the other ships are still there after this flood. But the Russian one, like he sees on the horizon, this ship that's leaving and he knows that he's been jilted and he's very sad. Okay. Uh, Scorned, he returns to his home. And his first passion, which is writing, um, he there is this uh, one work that gets brought up over and over again called the Oak Tree. It's a poem that that he's been working on like since he was a kid. And there there are a bunch of other stories that he's got going too. Like he fancies himself a writer. Um, and in this sort of phase where he's hanging out at home and and not paying attention to women or his noble duties, because he has been sort of laughed out of nobility at this point for. Uh, for uh, embarrassing the woman he was going to be married to. Um, he has this uh, guy named Nicholas Green, this poet, come and stay with him. And Nicholas Green complains all the time and has a lot of opinions on literature and sort of the state of literature. Um, and But has a lot of good stories and is fun to hang out with. Would he be a good guest on our podcast, do you think? Or would we know. dislike him? I don't know. He would be, maybe he'd listen to his podcast sometime. Okay. Like he would, he would have an interesting podcast, but sort of like a Mark Maron sort of figure where he does have smart things to say, but he's also a misanthrope. And he's got to work through a lot of his own issues before he can even ask yes, the question. Right? Yeah. Yes. Like you're to be a guest on his podcast is to be his therapist for ninety minutes. That sounds great. I know Nicholas Green already. Okay, great. Um, so Nicholas Green is comes and uh, Orlando gives Nicholas Green one of his works and says. You know, I will I will be your patron because you're complaining about how if you didn't have to earn money, you could just write works like like the ancient Greeks did and it would be pure and it would be wonderful. And here's your money. And incidentally, here's a thing that I wrote. (laughs) And so Nicholas Green goes home and reads this thing that Orlando wrote and hates it and burns Orlando to the ground whoa like in the in the press oh no and orlando's really upset though he does honor his the uh he the patron agreement honor, yes he does continue to pay out for nicholas green and then we do see nicholas green again later but he disappears from the narrative at this point um so uh, orlando's been jerked around a couple of times um he decides to throw himself back into sort of social life and he's being hounded by um by this Archduchess, uh, Archduchess Harriet, and he doesn't really care for her, and so he decides, you know what, this would be a great time for me to leave. Just leave the country and go do something else. Just get out. Uh, Yeah, so at this point, he is appointed by King Charles II, and so this, there has been a little bit of timey-wimey stuff in the book so far. Okay. Um, Like, after he is broken up with by Sasha and he returns to his home, Orlando goes into this sort of fugue state, or not even a fugue state. He just like sleeps in his bed for a week. Oh, he which had, is he this, had is two this cell magical phones. realism? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> no, it's not a Walter White situation. Okay, um, definitely to- textbook magical realism. Sleeps for a week. Everything's magical realism is the joke. Rip Van Winkle is magical realism. I don't know if you knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is. Um, and then he wakes up, and it is as if everything. It is as if everything is the same, but he just is a little off after he wakes up. Um, boy, where was I? Nicholas Green does this stuff. You timey-wimey stuff. Timey-wimey stuff. Oh, yes. Timey-wimey stuff. So um, you don't have a great idea. This is the first time that the time really gets fuzzy. Up till now, you've had an impression of Orlando as sort of a teenager and like a young 20-something so being in the nobility and and having romances and doing sort of young man things, sowing oats um, and and other idioms. Yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah. yeah, sowing oats and um and boys be boys will be boys rolling and in hay. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Coming back to town like the boys often do, but after, especially after this green thing happens, he just decides he's going to throw himself into his estate. And you do, like, you're not sure how long it is that he's doing. Okay. This. 
And so you remember that he was born during the reign of Elizabeth the first and he, you know, he served her for a while. And now uh, King Charles the second appoints him to be an ambassador to Constantinople, not Istanbul. Um, the reign of Charles II started in 1660 and ended in 1685. The reign of Elizabeth I uh, went from 58 to uh, 1558 to 1603. So, so there is a gap in here of skipped a whole James and other stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay. and so if you are if you are just reading this casually, you're maybe a little like, hmm, I don't really know my my English royalty. But I'm not sure how much time has passed. And so if you start to look up the dates, then, yeah, you're already seeing things taking way longer than they should because Orlando is still like 30-ish. Okay, okay. And that is the age that Orlando stays. For the rest of the book, for the most part? Yeah, it sort of gradually ages, but not really so that it changes anything for him. Um, So Orlando goes to Constantinople, has a couple of adventures, like he's doing fine, but then there's this um, there's this riot that happens one night and he does this thing again where he he just falls asleep for like a week. Um, and, you know, the, the city is being sort of sacked and taken over, but they go into his room and see him just like laying there in bed and there's the Sumi's dead and they move on. And at this point, this is maybe a quarter of the way through a third of the way through the book. Um, Orlando wakes up and is a woman now. OK. And so that's the, I think that is the thing that happens in this book. Like if you're, if you were going to describe it in a sentence, I guess it would be like person lives for 300 years, starts as a man and then is a woman. Yes. And that's the book. Um, to, so I don't, this might be a good time to talk about some of the gender stuff that you found. Um, I do want to say that um, Wolf doesn't, spend a ton of time on this like there there is not this there is not you know if, if there's a movie like a teen comedy romp where a teenage boy and a teenage girl like switch bodies like the first thing they would do would get out of bed and like look at their different private parts and be like oh my goodness you know what i'm talking yeah. about yeah 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 uh there's there's no such like there, there's literally not that scene and then like figuratively orlando just doesn't spend a ton of time thinking about like the logistics of, of what has happened and Wolf doesn't spend a lot of time being like Orlando has boobs and a vagina now. Like there's no point, (laughs) there's no point in the story where that really happens. Um, Wolf as the biographer just says now, now we will use she to refer to Orlando and she is a woman for the rest of the book. And that doesn't mean that there, that it's never revisited again, but that's just, it isn't, it is not a thing where you get, um, a sequence for what we would understand now as like a physical or hormonal transition. Yes. Yes. If yes, that yes. makes sense. Yeah. So Rebecca Kling um, wrote an article called is Orlando trans fiction um, and kind of says yes and no uh, to quote. Yes. Orlando explores both gender and transgender themes questioning what it means to be a man, a woman, or somewhere in between. In that way, Orlando is trans fiction. But no, Orlando, the character herself or himself, doesn't seem to identify as trans. Uh, He wasn't unsatisfied with being a man, and she wasn't unsatisfied with being a woman. Um, And then, to your point, Andrew, kind of the revisiting some of the gender stuff, like Brain Pickings, uh, Maria Popova, I think, has an article about the, the writing about clothing in this book, and... Being, yeah, so I have a I have a couple of quotes yeah, yeah. for that loaded up when you're ready for sure. It. But like, um, you know, that article says Wolf was writing two years before the first successful gender reassignment surgery was completed, decades before the term transgender was coined, and nearly half a century before Jan Morrison's account of what it's actually like to change bodily genders. Uh, and Wolf is considering clothing and societal uh, implications of being a woman, um, but is not explicitly speaking to what we might consider. Uh, the trans experience. And that's where Rebecca Kling comes back to. I wanted Orlando to be a novel about a trans character rather than a nevertheless very good novel, which explores gender and transgender themes is what Rebecca says. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's especially probably 
maybe be, I don't want to say especially probably, that's a dumb thing to say. Maybe because <laughs> of where it's set in. Here, this is a way to be emphatic <laughs> while still retaining my wiggle room. Um, maybe because of when it's set in history or what uh, vocabulary was available to Wolf at the time, um, it doesn't seem like it is explicitly about the tra- like the transitioning experience at all, right? Um, no, it's very and and actually the thing that came to mind the most, like quickly and, and viscerally, however imperfect the comparison is, is like Metamorphosis, where yeah. Gregor Samsa wakes up and is suddenly a bug. It's just, Orlando wakes up and is suddenly a woman. Well, and there's some of that in Ovid's The Metamorphoses, where people like change gender and it's you know play. I yeah, right. You weren't ready for me to make that word play. Metamorphoses. Well, it's it's plural. <laughs> You know, come on now. Um, but there's also there's an there's an article from uh, Book Riot in 20, 2015. Constance Augusta Faber um, was writing about uh, her experience reading the book as a like closeted trans teen in her te- as a closet trans teen. I almost said in her teens. Um, when I read Orlando, I had the uncanny feeling that I was reading some parallel version of my life where I was like happy or something, um, and that almost. That goes right back to what Rebecca said or write, wrote, which is like Orlando seems mostly content with their identity in whichever gender. And it isn't about like moving from one to the other for a reason or for, you know, yet to the extent that there is anything about moving from one to the other, it is wrapped up in this, this talk about clothes that you referenced. Sure. So let me, um, let me read the, like the transition sequence, like the pronoun transition sequence okay, great. for you and then read a little bit about the clothing stuff. Um, we may take advantage of this pause in the narrative to make certain statements. Orlando had become a woman. There's no denying it. But in every other respect, Orlando remained precisely as he had been. The change of sex, though it altered their future, did nothing whatever to alter their identity. And just to be clear here, I, I think that Wolf is using they to refer to two Orlandos and not to imply some sort of gender, gender neutral, like singular pronoun, mm, just to... Mm. Uh, point out how this might be different from how we would talk about it now. Um, Their faces remained as their portraits prove practically the same. His memory, but in future we must for convention's sake say her for his and she for he. Her memory then went back through all the events of her past life without encountering any obstacle. Some slight haziness there may have been as if a few dark drops had fallen into the clear pool of a memory. Certain things had become a little dimmed, but that was all. The change seems to have been accomplished painlessly and completely, and in such a way that Orlando herself showed no surprise at it. Many people taking this into account and holding that such a change of sex is against nature have been at great pains to prove, one, that Orlando had always been a woman, two, that Orlando is at this moment a man, let biologists and psychologists determine. It is enough for us to state the simple fact Orlando was a man till the age of 30 when he became a woman and has remained so ever since. Hmm. And that is it. Like the next thing is, but let other pens treat of sex and sexuality. And then it just moves on. Huh. We, we quit such odious subjects as soon as we can. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. Um, hmm. Yeah. And then, and then this gets into um, clothing and, and maybe some mental transformation stuff. Uh, she was becoming a little more modest as women are of her brains and a little more vain as women are of her person. Certain susceptibilities were asserting themselves and others were diminishing. The change of clothes had, some philosophers will say, much to do with it. Vain trifles as they seem, clothes have, they say, more important offices than merely to keep us warm. They change our view of the world and the world's view of us. Um, and it goes on like that for a while. But there is a there's a bit uh, a little bit later on where Orlando is just discovering that you know, she still has all these these clothes from mm. uh, her previous life and just discover, you know, if I if I'm going to be out and about like doing active things in the in the yard on my estate, I'm going to wear some breeches. And otherwise, like if I'm going on a social call or or something, I'll wear my I'll wear my taffeta gown like it's a. Is that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. But there is no, I don't know. There's, there's no sequence where Orlando like has different genitals or is like talking about taping stuff up or, or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. It, it just, it, is. Does, it yeah. doesn't care to, to play around with that at all. 
Yeah, so uh, Danny, one of the Patreon supporters, actually forwarded an academic article that I'm probably woefully underqualified to dive too far into. I'll just give it a shout out. Probably. Let's just (laughs) especially probably just own our ignorance. Um, Wolf's Einfühlung. That's the first the you know sign that I don't know what I'm talking about. An alternative theory of transgender affect in the journal Mosaic from March 2015 by Lucas Crawford. Um, and just argues that the the way that the book deals with uh, trans themes kind of argues for an empathetic reading of the whole experience, contrasting it with that book I said earlier, The Well of Loneliness, um, which is a bit more on the toughness of the experience and and uh on societal like pressures and something we might consider more akin to to the stories you expect um and just argues for an empathetic reading of orlando's transformation and what we can learn from just kind of what you said of just like it was this and then it was that and let's go um well the 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 really surprising part i guess of this of this book is that by and large society just rolls with it. Okay. And I think the, the other thing society seems to roll with is just like legally this person has been the same person this whole time for hundreds and hundreds of years, which is separate from any sort of gender issue which is at like, all. It seems like a, t- a, a timey wimey Forrest Gump situation where yeah, Orlando not- has been in all these places. And been a part of all these things in history. It just happens to be three hundred years of history. <laughs> well, there are definitely other other works of of fiction where there have where there you know people live for a suspiciously long time because they've been vampires or some other yeah, kind of supernatural sure. something, and they survive by you know moving before it gets weird. <laughs> um, Twilight might be uh, a good example. A yeah, good example. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Lovecraft, but then I got to Twilight, which is the more relevant. I don't often example. say the Just sentence to... Twilight is a good example, but in this case, Twilight is a good example. The way that the characters in the book Twilight have handled their vampirism over the course of a couple hundred years is instructive in this case sure but no orlando orlando you know she is in constantinople but then she comes back home and then she's just kind of around england for a while and there are a couple of more like hand wavy sort of time passes periods that happen and we can talk more about that if you want to but aside from some legal challenges you know believing orlando was dead and then you know not not um, legally thinking that she was a woman, which has just as much to do with like rules about who gets to own things. Yeah. Yeah. In this period as it, as it is about Orlando, like becoming a different person than she was before. Um, yeah. Like everybody just seems to kind of roll with it. Like nobody brings it, the whole, if this book were about, a modern trans experience. I think the whole rest of the book, like the point of the thing would be how do you explain this in different spheres of your life and what kind of, I don't know. What, what do you go through as, as you try to live, uh, live your old life, but in this like updated context. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, that's not what this book is interested in doing. Like Orlando's a woman now, as far as most people are concerned, she's always been a woman and we just like go on with about our business. Yeah. So that's the part where learning a little bit about the Sackville West relationship was instructive for me in terms of what Wolf may have been up to, like the whole ancestral estate, like not being Orlando's anymore because she's a woman is a thing that Vita Sackville West dealt with where like she had this at big estate in Kent and because she was a woman she she knew that she could never actually inherit it and it went to some cousin that maybe she could have married if she really wanted to but did not and so hey that's the, that's the way to do it if you really want a day, house you gotta marry, marry your cousin, your cousin. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and so that was like a, probably a big part of weaving Sackville West into this story and a big part of her life and Sackville West as an author and putting her throughout history um, is like a way to say here's this person I care a lot about and I'm going to write a story about them but I'm not going to write it from their perspective either so like 
can I just ask about the biography angle? Because that may be part of what allows Wolf or what enables Wolf or, or just she's not getting in Orlando's head, right? It's just this is what happened to Orlando. This is the things that happen and what people did about it or what? I mean, she, she Wolf multiple times throughout the book makes reference to like sources, like, like what would have been primary sources. Interesting. Like, in okay. Re- in research that a biographer would have done to write about the life of this person. Mm, well, very modern, um, especially in, yeah. especially in, uh, the Constantinople section, she makes this big deal about how few, like how we kind of have to put, cobble stuff together, and and she actually quotes from this one source that's like been singed or like damaged, and she you know has a lot of quotes interspersed with descriptions of the particular damage of the manuscript that she is quoting from. Clever, clever. Um, but it's that's kind of a. It, it it is in there because that's I don't know but for for the satirical reasons or for the genre parody reasons but it's not like that actually constrains Wolf in any way when she decides that she wants to describe a certain I thing. think that's she's, a good way to put it not, yeah okay she doesn't she doesn't explain like and this is how I know exactly what was going through Orlando's head as he watches this flood of people get washed away or, (laughs) or like later on as she realizes that trains exist now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It seems more, I like, I like how you put it as it does not constrain her because I'm thinking I'm reminded of, uh, Jonathan strange and Mr. Norrell, which was that kind of, uh, 19th century almost English history book but about a wizard and stuff um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that felt much more like tied into the this is sort of a reference text but it's a fun story at the same time um, this seems to break that those barriers down even a little bit more just given knowing Wolf's style like that she those walls would not hold even if she put them up I think yeah right <laughs> Um, and, and there are all kinds of like, there are references to, um, like the 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 thing that she does, and honestly, she does it too often for it to really be cute for <laughs> oh, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is she'll always as the as the like biographer character get to a point where she would have to describe something like profound or important, and be like, eh, and then you you know you get it. <laughs> very Dante kind of waving of her. it away huh yeah and there, there's this one bit earlier in the book where Wolf is is talking about the like describing things in in literature versus like seeing them with your your eyes green in nature is one thing green in literature another nature and letters seem to have a natural antipathy bring them together and they tear each other to pieces the shade of green Orlando now saw spoiled his rhyme and Split his meter. Moreover, nature has tricks of her own. Once look out of a window at bees among flowers, at a yawning dog, at the sun setting. Once think, how many more suns shall I see set, etc., etc. The thought is too well known to be worth writing out. <laughs> okay. And um, and then this is talking about, and this is uh, this is some literary criticism that that creeps into this through the character of Green in a couple other ways. Now it is clear that there are only two ways of coming to a conclusion upon Victorian literature. One is to write it out in 60 volumes octavo. The other is to squeeze it into six lines of the length of this one. And then she goes on for a few lines. um, And then she gets to, and so at last she reached her final conclusion, which is, which was of the highest importance, but which as we have already much overpassed our limit of six lines, we must omit. Okay. This is the most important thing that there is, but you know we kind of breaking the rules already, so I got to move on. Yeah, okay, Wolf, that's fun. I get it. I, I get what she's doing. There is um there's an article by Jeanette Winterson in the Guardian called "Different Sex, Same Person: How Wolf's Orlando Became a Trans Triumph." Where the the tidbit I got there, it it resonates with a lot of the other reading I've cited. Um, but ties it together with a series of lectures she gave about gender inequity, and then also points out that her father, Wolf's father, Sir Leslie Stephen, was a biographer who wrote for the Dictionary of National Biography, which hmm. uh, Winterson describes as a very kind of 
white male canon like operation and i mean was there another yeah exactly exactly. so (laughs) so what wolf is doing here is you know not only critiquing the style and the the quality of that work potentially but also by just inserting orlando as a woman into this history uh critiquing the whole you know kit and caboodle in a way um which is an interesting read on it when again as you said it's kind of a fantasy excuse me magical realist romp through some stuff Mm -hmm. otherwise (laughs) so yeah i don't know it's man what? I feel I've also, I've I've done that other classic overdue thing where I say let's just get through the plot real quick and then we can talk about anything else and then we get like a third of the way into the book and totally get derailed by everything else which is fine like that's what that's what <laughs> that's, when you're going to talk when you're going to have a conversation about this book like the other stuff is the stuff that you're talking about the plot is pretty light honestly yeah yeah um I guess to just cross our tease and dot our eyes let me let me finish out hit me yep what happens is orlando lives several hundred more years um once she gets back home she is like courted by several real world poets i think the most uh notable one is alexander pope okay sure because you're just like hanging out with all these all these poet greats my forest gum analogy stance yes sure <laughs> and also with so remember when uh, orlando left england in the first place to go to constantinople not istanbul um it was the archduchess harriet who was kind of hanging out and making her uncomfortable uh when she gets back um it's it's revealed oh actually this person is the archduke harry and he still wants to hang around what? and make her uncomfortable and they start playing this weird game where they put out they each put out a sugar cube and they wait for a fly to land on one of the sugar cubes and whoever's sugar cube gets a fly on it first wins the game and that sounds like there is nothing i think i saw that, a tiktok about that quarantine yeah, there's, is there's wild. nothing <laughs> That describes what entertainment, like before they invented video games, was like. That's better than oh, we just waited for flies to land on sugar. Well, cubes. yeah, because you're an adult, and so you can't like roll in the mud or play with a stick and hoop. So you've got to come up with a civilized thing to do. Especially if you're trying to like put like just buy yourself time with a dude you don't really care for but who's persisting and showing up to your house all the time well that's not a bad game to play that involves just sitting across from someone at a table so like what do you you have to imagine you're probably like talking to each other while you're waiting for a fly to land right sure 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 i mean maybe you're just watching the cubes you know man part of this feels very like Penelopean to me like oh i you know i i weaved i weaved the thing and then i unweaved it and then you know the suitor who's who gets a fly on their cube like a hundred times is the one who win my heart like it's just a, it's a classic play for time yeah the only fly in the room is actually a drone that someone is controlling on the other side of the wall so it's never <laughs> right. gonna land it just gets really close well, so orlando's trying to get this dude to go away and she she, you know, comes to this conclusion that the way to to get him to go because he's a man and because I, you know, I, I sort of feel like I have a I have an understanding of of the way that these minds work is to embarrass him or to you know to to really huh, that's an interesting angle you know yep. make it make him ashamed of something and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let him catch me cheating at this fly cube game. And he will get his pride will be so hurt by this that he will leave and he will never, you know, he will never come back again. And so she kills this fly who's she makes a point of saying that the fly was already almost dead because otherwise it would have been too hard. Yeah. Okay. So PETA like sit back down. (laughs) Um, She kills this fly and decides, okay, when he's not looking, I'm going to put this dead fly on a sugar cube and surely this will be so obvious that he will go away and he'll never bother me again. And he doesn't, he either doesn't get it or he chooses to like 
maintain plausible deniability or something because she wins. And this is this is in the um, I think this is in the 18th century, maybe maybe like late 17th century. But she wins like 17,000 pounds off of. Oh, my God. Over time with this fly game. The World Series of poker. World Series of flies in here. And eventually she just she has to cheat so like blatantly. It takes it takes a very long time oh to get this guy to go away. I love I love the I am really enjoying your joy of this particular scene. <laughs> and that it, it's such a fun heist. It, but it also encapsulates what I know you have enjoyed about other fiction that depicts this period where just like the the inanity but the 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 heightened stakes of an inane interaction (laughs) well because necessity is the mother of invention right like you don't got phones you don't got nintendos yeah you've invented this fly cube game Uh uh-huh and now i'm now i'm like in it i'm into fly cube (laughs) i'm thinking about all the implications of how bored you would have to be to invent fly cube and then how to, to use fly cube for some end yeah that is not just flies landing on cubes to like build this whole thing around it wow what a what patience and i'm just i'm impressed by the <laughs> by the <laughs> by the patience of it yeah that's that's impressive how is that how does that end is that the end of the book oh he he storms off in a huff um because he's because he's been cheated this is like halfway through <laughs> um but yeah so uh orlando's hanging out with these other poets um eventually as time goes on or orlando crosses paths with nick green again who has aged more, more than orlando has but is also still apparently a time lord <laughs> <laughs> and the the funny thing that Nick Green does, we probably won't get all the way into like the literary criticism that this book yeah, does, sure. but just to to give you an example is uh Orlando and Nick Green run into each other like a couple hundred years apart and Nick Green has the same complaints about how poets today are horrible and it's really the old poets that are the great oh, ones. Oh good. And it's the same complaint, but with different names. Like the, the first time, it's like, oh, Shakespeare is ruining this whole thing. It, you should make it like the Greeks. And then when Orlando and Green run into each other again, it's like, Shakespeare, that was the guy That was the guy who knew how to oh, do it. Oh, that's genius. <laughs> that's very good. Because that could, that could work if you put the same, if you like introduced another character that was similar. If you were making a TV show, maybe you would have it played by the same actor. But like just making it the same dude because of how time functions in your book is great. Because of how time functions in the book and just because of how, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty lazy vein of, of criticism yeah, yeah. in pretty much any, any genre that is like now is bad yes before it was good yes before when and i even understood it, even it. even yeah. getting outside of 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 art and literature like there there are whole veins of political thought that basically revolve around now bad before is good now is bad yeah. i will make it before again <laughs> mm. yep again being a very particular word that people use mm. um mm. but it sounds like you had fun with this book I had fun with this book. Orlando meets another person, uh, Marmaduke Bonthrop Shelmerdine, which is the name of like like a person in a crowd scene on Parks and Recreation. It's My very, God, like, it's very. But this, this is another person who we we are led to believe um, was once a woman and is now a man. But they get like there is a one of the one of the passage of time things that happens is that um, once you get up to like the Victorian era. Orlando is suddenly seized with this like physical compulsion to go out and get married because that's how life has sort of reoriented itself is around like marriage as an institution. Um, So she runs out and she meets this guy who is, who is kind of, you know, he, he is in sort of the same boat as her and then they get married and he is, then, then he goes off to like sail around the, the Cape of good hope or whatever the stormy one is. That's Um, that one. I think. (laughs) um nicholas green now reads so another vein that's been going throughout this book is orlando once nicholas green burnt orlando down in the first place orlando who was orlando he at the time he 
takes all the other works that he had and gets rid of them, except for this one, like his first poem, which is called The Oak Tree, which is about an oak tree that's sort of on his estate. He carries this poem with him and then her throughout the book um, and is continually adding it and erasing it and trying to like get to the essence of what poetry is and like what it is to express yourself and trying to get at the just like the nature of of what a successful conveyance of ideas looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after. Having worked on it for like 300 years, Green reads it, reads uh, Oak Tree and instead of burning Orlando get down, helps get this thing published. And it's kind of a, I just wanted to talk about it because it's kind of a red herring and this is maybe another like wolf thing that she's doing where she like builds expectations to one thing and then oh, okay. does another thing um, where this poem, which we have been, which which is kind of it's not driven all of the action, but it's been a constant driving force for Orlando and something that she's really been bit of a MacGuffin working on. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a, it doesn't end up being that important because as you're getting toward the end of the book, it is mentioned in passing um, that she, that the, the poem had been published. It won a prize. Um, we must snatch space to remark how discomposing it is for her biographer that this culmination to which the whole book moved, this per peroration with which the book was to end should be dashed from us on a laugh casually like this. But the truth is that when we write of a woman, everything is out of place. Culminations and perorations, the accent never falls where it does with a man. Hmm. God, and this is another, like, the, the timey-wimey stuff gets worse, like, it's more pronounced as you get to the end of the book. Um, it culminates in this sort of sequence where... Uh, we are in the uh, early 20th century. So the, the book ends on the day that the real book was published. Oh, interesting. Um, October 11th, 1928 huh. is the like the stroke of midnight that ushers that day in. Like it's making a sort of thing about the passage of time and, and yeah. being a biographer and, and whatever. Um, as Orlando gets up to the the 20th century she is driving a car which she's great at without having to learn it's not like a it's not an interview with the vampire thing where orlando is ever like out of sync with the time that she, she is just in like she always, always knows yeah um and she is driving this car and, and and making observations about like you know i i can see a couple of people having an interaction i can see a sign or something as i drive by it but i'm going so fast that i can't see this whole story anymore and so reflecting that you get these snippets and these one-off things where you are bypassing bits of story too quickly to really live in them anymore uh. like and, and this is this is the context where the oak tree thing gets dropped is like you're just move you're hurtling toward the end of this book you're in an end of and, show montage and yeah and and this thing that you would think would be sort of the climax like this poem that this time lord has been working on for 300 years gets published and is successful like it is it is mentioned in passing once like 20 pages from the end. Huh. Um Yeah, that is that becomes I don't know, this yeah. That be, that does make for an interesting critique on biography as a form because like so much a lot of you know, you can pick apart ones that draw too neat of conclusions or draw too clean of lines between events or between people um and that that all that usually rears its head when uh like a work of of fiction or, or a performative work i'm thinking of like a lot of the critique of hamilton about like a lot of the condensing of characters a condensing of timelines to make specific artistic statements happens um but it also happens in biography because the writer has a point of view and is interested in certain questions and not interested in others uh and so yeah at the end of the book to be like oh maybe i set out to write this book because they were the person who wrote the oak tree and then at the end it's like bah, oak tree bah, bah, bah. like <laughs> she, dri she drives a car now like we're moving on let me i'm gonna go write a book about cars um yeah that's interesting that then that that's not even a a thing i had read about this book coming in that's cool okay so yeah i don't i don't think You're i have spent. anything else yeah like by the, by the time you get to the end of this especially it's just kind of a pile of things that happened and, and by i think by 
Wolf's design, I think you're talking more about the way that she tells the story sure. and, and the commentary that she has than about anything that happens to Orlando. Makes sense. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I think I hit the highlights. I think I, sounds I like mean, you did. Fans that fans of this book can can uh, can tell me that we didn't, and I'm expecting and kind of I'm not going to say I'm hoping for like notes about um, how we've discussed like trans issues, but I feel like we're probably going to get a couple just because we're two straight white dudes who are yeah and talking that's- about. Things we don't have personal experience which is, with, which is totally welcome and expected. Which, and it's yeah. also why I tried to share a couple of different perspectives from authors, some of whom are trans who have written about this and written about their personal relationship to the book, because it has it does run a gamut, you know, as everyone's individual experience is going to be different um, with anything. Uh, there's actually an article from Hunger, uh, HungerTV.com, which is not a website I was familiar with before, uh, by uh, Megan Wallace titled Five Books About Non-Binary Identity That Aren't Orlando. Um, and Wallace actually includes some critique of Wolf, some specific to this book in its... Uh, there have been scholarly critiques of this book's portrayal of Constantinople in particular, like maybe having um, some like overly... You know, some insensitive instances of exoticism and things like that. Um, well, and there's there's a lot of stuff about um, Romani people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who um, are uniformly referred to as gypsies throughout this, and there are just a lot of just a lot of things said about the way that those people are and the things that they yes do um, and think. Yeah. And there's a lot. There's a lot from painting with an extremely broad brush. There's a lot from Wolf's uh, letters and diaries um, that is pretty anti-Semitic. Uh, just you know, even though her husband was Jewish and they, by all accounts, had a, you know, they had a stable marriage um, for the, most of their time together. Um, and she did, you know, also write how much she loved him and things. But you know, there's been there's been a lot of critique of her in addition to why people like her work. So Wallace laid out a couple other books that you might check out, um, including Stone Butch Blues by Leslie Fenberg or The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson uh, or this play Burgers by Travis Alabanza. Um, So I share that also just to kind of recognize folks who maybe didn't respond well to this book or want other perspectives um, just because I found that useful in coming to this book as like, yes, it's been canonized, um, yeah. But usually when a thing's been canonized, that means that it's also bit left out other things. Um, that's just yeah. the nature of yeah. crap. And just, and just from like a show and, and programming perspective, it's I think it's something we're always trying to do because you and I are just pals who are talking about books. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to learn about things. Is, uh, yeah. And I want to learn about things. And this is part of the canon. So like how do you and I, as the people that we are, talk yeah. about this book? while also bringing other perspectives into it while also not doing tokenism. Yeah. And yeah. weird. Then this is what we've, I guess this last hour is what we've settled. Um, on. I will. Andrew, who do you think is the most famous Orlando according to playback.fm slash people slash first name slash Orlando? I mean, it's gotta be Bloom. It's Orlando Bloom. I don't know much about this website. He got a seven out of a hundred on the fame meter. Um, other fame. Wait, who gets a one? I know. I think it, I think it goes up to a hundred. It's a very oh, it's, oh. A, it's a very empty meter that he has. Orlando. Wait, so Bloom. Orlando is Orlando Bloom gets is low on the fame meter. Yes, I have not dug. He only into gets seven this. fame points. <laughs> okay. Other famous Orlandos include Orlando Gibbons, a British composer. Orlando Cepeda, who's the first. Puerto Rican player to start a major league all-star game for baseball. A bunch of people I've never heard of, a bunch of baseball players I have heard of. At number 11, Orlando Jones, the actor. Um, also, hmm. I think he was... Yeah, he was in... Um, trying to think of the show. Was it American Gods, maybe? I don't know. This mm-hmm. is worth spending some more time on, though, I think. What about Orlando Studios, where all those cool Nickelodeon game shows were filmed? That was not referenced on Famous <laughs> <Okay>. Orlando's. <laughs> I just have that that one like wide shot of that globe fountain thing like burned into my 
retinas from all the times I saw it at the end of like figure it out or guts or whatever. Oh yeah. Well, it was filmed live in in front of a studio audience in front of a live studio audience at Orlando Studios or whatever it was. Yeah. That's what the phrase was. Anyway, let's get out of here, mm-hmm. Andrew. Let's go. All right, bye. All right. Uh if <laughs> Try folks, to be happy, bye. <laughs> um want to tell us uh, about their thoughts on Orlando, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com, twitter.com slash facebook.com slash overduepod. There's a lot of slashes in there, don't worry about it. Um shout out to folks who have reached out to us this past week. Willow, Katie, Jackie, Annie, Julie, Sarah, Melissa, uh the ghost of Dante Alighieri's out there on Twitter retweeting people talking about Hellboys. Uh, go listen to Hellboys if you haven't. And shout out to the two bossy dames, Margaret and Sophie, uh, who invited us to re- to write an issue of their newsletter this past week. Um, you can go to twobossydames.substack.com to subscribe to their wonderful newsletter, and including the most recent episode re- issue, which is wonderful, and by us. So... That's yeah, it's a, it's it is a collection of comforting media, including uh, old corporate training videos, and chill games and some music to listen to, and some TV that doesn't take a lot of effort. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Including Andrew, another yet another place where Craig has plugged the show Heroes, which ran from 2006 to like 2008 or nine. Doesn't matter. 2006 is all you need. Is what mm. I'll say. Uh, and maybe part of 2007. Anyway, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Not the show Heroes. Our show, the o- Overdue Show. No, not the show Heroes. They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. We have uh, Apple Podcast links, Google Play. Uh, we're also on Stitcher and Spotify and anywhere else you can get podcasts. We have a new listener page where you can look at episodes that we think are good entry points to the show. Um, and our Patreon project, patreon.com slash OverduePod, where you can financially support us, though, in capital these trying times we understand if that's not a thing that you can do and that is yeah yeah. um we also we talked about this a little bit uh last week but we have a uh, bookshop.org page up that you can visit to uh, buy the books that we have read and are going to read and support your uh, local bookstore Uh, we have uh, links to uh, to do that up on the website, and we'll be talking about it on our social feeds uh, more going forward. I think. Yeah, and if you are going through the back catalog, if you're a newer listener and are trying to pick up a copy of a book for an old episode, most of our old episode pages on the website have bookshop links directly to those books um, whenever it is available on that service. So that's what we did. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, what is what is you reading next week, Craig? Unaccustomed by Humphrey uh it's a short story collection i'm excited i haven't read one of those in a while so we'll get into it great yeah i had a good time with friday black when i read it yeah it's it's kind of what i'm excited about it's good to have little like discrete chunks of things that you can read and then put the book down and just kind of think about it and then come back that sounds like a short story collection to me yeah it's great all right everybody thank you for listening to our dumb podcast and until we talk to you next week please try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.